Open your eyes. The black magician does not seek to have our decisions and our morality approved or validated by any higher god or being. We take responsibility unto ourselves. This is a very selfish religion. We believe in greed, we believe in selfishness, we believe in all of the lustful thoughts that motivate man because this is man's natural feeling. But for the true magician, nothing is true and everything is permitted. Which is to say that all ultimate truths are lies and that anything he does is justified simply by his doing it. By accepting that he is a colonial being, the magician is able to unlock the world within. He whose name is Legion can do anything. Welcome to CTW number 128. My name is Aaron David. I'm your host. And today I am joined with Alex of the Alex cast. Welcome, Alex. Hey, thank you very much for having me on. So I've been listening to you for a long time, way before I started Charm the Water. What year did you start Alex cast? Uh, this is this is a question that I can't answer. It, 2010-ish? Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't really know. It's one of those things where I was on a different server and then on another server. So nothing has its time stamp anymore. Mm-hmm. And my first host went out of business. So I don't know. But I, somewhere around, I think the end of 2010 was was the first episode. I think we mentioned this uh, last time we talked that uh, much like the character in your book, the Terravada machine and other stories, I was in this sort of dark night of the soul, deep wounding from this this relational thing. That's when I discovered you. And I think we went back to uh, messenger and saw the exact date. I forget now, but it was a while back. Maybe I'm thinking 2012 ish, something. Yeah, around it, there. Was, it was quite a bit ago. Yeah. That was so weird. Cause I, I didn't put together. I remembered talking to you mm-hmm. and I didn't put together Aaron, David, uh, the host of charm, the water and the, those messages until you, you and I were talking about you coming on the show and I was going to message you something and those messages showed up. I'm like, Oh fuck that guy. Okay. Now this is all, <laughs> this is because you know, there's certain kind of names that stick in your head mm-hmm, of like, mm-hmm. Oh, I remember talking to this person and, and yeah, it was just, it, it's always, I don't know. It's, it's, yeah. it's a fun thing where it's like, Oh, now two little chunks are coming together. I was, I was in such a broken state when I, when I messaged you that at that time. And, uh, I just found your your podcast and was listening to some stuff you were going through, and uh, it was just you know I'm glad I found you at that time and that uh, you kind of were able to indirectly help me through my my time and so it's it's such like a full circle ironic thing here we are sitting down with you to talk about your book the Terravada Machine and other stories which is about a uh, person who is very broken trying to find healing but before we jump into like in medias rest and in the middle of things i want to ask you something that you start out with about floaters and i'm talking about eye floaters do you have it do you have it oh yeah yeah i've had that for my entire life uh well i shouldn't say my entire life but i remember talking to my elementary school nurse about them because i noticed them in i'm going to say second grade and she had no idea what they were. I didn't call them floaters, obviously. And it wasn't for like a decade later until somebody like, 
I heard that term and someone talking about it, I went, oh, I finally feel seen. Like there is, there's, I found the others. It went on a whole, <laughs> a whole thing of trying to figure out what the hell these things are. But yeah, no, I have them bad. It's freaking annoying. I've actually looked into like surgical options to get rid of these stupid things. I've, I've had ones ever since an LSD trip around 1998. I must have looked at the sun or something. And in the book, you talk about them being dead cells, right? Yeah, I think that's what they're supposed to be. They're supposed to be like dead floating like retinal cells or something. And it it really tripped me out. I was like super paranoid. I was like, oh my God, what have I done with this horrible illegal drug? What have I done to myself? And <laughs> it was like like a head trip for me too. But anyway, lots of anxiety, I think, with, with, uh, with creative types, which I'll get to in a bit. But your book, The Terraveda Machine and Other Stories, it's about, as I said, a broken uh, person broken by the death of someone very close to them. And in fact, part of their misery is being haunted by visions of getting a blowjob from her corpse. And I really liked that. I really enjoyed that part in a, in a sort of, my God, this is depressing type of enjoyment. And uh, yeah, if I just, just be clear, it is a series of short stories. So although they do all kind kind of of set around either kind of there's a lot of death rebirth kind mm-hmm. of yeah, yeah. on there it is separate characters and separate people so like uh, that's why i tried to make a, enough space between that story that one you're talking about is a pervasive thought and like the book of lists which is the last kind of almost like novella length thing in the book mm-hmm. uh different people different different dead people <laughs> just to kind of make it clear i was a little concerned about that because um, I, th- I think the narrator sounds different enough that you can kind of figure it out, but you know, just to put a, put a super fine point on it. It's, it's the, the, the sort of, uh, how do I describe it? Sort of a, a link of, I, I, I hate to kind of like this tortured artist type of thing. That's it's, there's a, there's just a feeling, uh, to it that I recognized. I've, I've read this type of thing before and uh, I don't know, I just very much identified with it. I think people, anybody that's been through that type of wounding uh, that these characters experience uh, will very much... Something about that particular uh, thing brought about a uh, very nostalgic memory of Stephen King's Creep Show when I read that part. It's like death and sex, death and sex. They make yeah. make the world. But uh, first, let me ask you why the name uh, Terravada Machine. I can say I was really taken by the three men in the apartment. This is really strange, sort of, uh, and, and I think it's the first story. Uh, I th- what order did it be? The problem, wait, wait, I have the books in front of me. I, I changed the order of this so many times. Uh, that is the, th- no, that's the fourth story. Okay. And it's like three guys in this apartment, and there's this man and woman, and uh, your, sort of their relationship and like what are what is up with these three guys in this machine do you have an interpretation of who and what they are and i would think the name the terravada machine comes from that yeah um without giving too much away um i i try to write not not to give like a fluffy answer but like i try to write in a way that you can, you're, you know, it's kind of a uh, choose your own adventure kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Like choose your own meaning, uh, especially with the novel length thing I did periphery where there's literally 
it's the reader's choice of how they're reading it. And there's a lot of that in the Theravada machine, like that, the, the short story and the whole book really. But that one is kind of the rebirth of kind of concept. So a lot of the book does have like death and rebirth in it as, as metaphor and, and uh, literally. And that one to me, it's kind of the, I don't want to say that like the men building the thing is like literally creation, but I mean, that's kind of what I'm playing with. And that's sort of where, that's where the Theravada comes from is that's as far as Buddhism is concerned, that's kind of referenced as the oldest Buddhism, like not necessarily the practice, but they're based on the oldest, um, Buddhist texts. The, um, well, I'm not gonna remember the name, the, oh, it sounds like Pikachu, Pai Kut. Do you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> I am mostly uh, familiar with a, a little bit through Crowley's uh, system, not through directly through the uh, the actual Buddhist. Yeah. Tradition. Uh, oh, it, it's that uh, T Pitaka, which I was pretty close when I said Pikachu. Um, it's that's <laughs> like the oldest, uh, the oldest kind of uh, attributable works of uh, words of the Buddha. The you know the okay. The, the one that you know of the Buddha, you know, it's Siddhartha Gautama. Um, but that's kind of the idea is, that, you know, the kind of birth and redeath cycle, you know, just kind of playing with that. Mm-hmm. I'm being a little vague because I don't, I, I don't like answering. I feel like as an author, if I tell somebody what I thought I was doing, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that's like me telling them what I think they should take from it, which is yeah. not the way I write. Like I, I want people to take what they what their brain brings out of it. Like there's like going back to periphery, there are people came to me afterwards and gave interpretations of that book that I had no idea were in there. And I'm like, Oh crap, that's much smarter than what I was doing. And I'm like, yeah, that's yeah, what I yeah. meant. So and I like to, I, I like to leave it a little open. Yeah. I think too, as, as a, I mean, I've not really gone on many writing projects. So what little I've done is I think, the subconscious or whatever you want to call it is what's at work there. And you come back and look at it and like, you can be like, Oh wow, I didn't even know that's what I was doing at all. So I'm glad you made that distinction. And I guess trying to pull your, pull your arm to uh, get to share about looking back and maybe opinions you didn't have at all when you were writing it that you can like, wow, that's interesting. And I guess I could share sort of uh, as well what I got from it and, yeah, no, nothing like concrete. Like this is, you know, uh, this is the Bible here as I meant it because I just don't think that's how writing works unless you're doing allegory. That uh, it's more of a an artistic thing, like a creative, like stemming from the unconscious. You know, I don't think you're doing allegory at here as Buddhist Sunday school lessons at all. No, no, I wasn't trying to. Yeah, it's. I, I mean, I guess there might be some kind of allegorical kind of. No, not necessarily allegorical. Like more like, um, kind of in that union subconscious way. Like you know these kind of uh, archetypal uh, mm-hmm. kind of things, which allegory also kind of overlaps. It's just kind of the, the you know idiot's guide to archetypes is allegory. You know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is uh, that's what real art uh, is to me. Is how it's expressed is like uh, through whatever that is we're talking about in an awkward way. But uh, you cover a trip. You mentioned uh, Portland, Oregon, and this throughout the book, there are lots of restaurants, hotel rooms, bars, 
lots of different characters and there's also this notion of uh this magical place of lost things and uh is that autobiographical or is this entirely like a work of fiction or how much of you is in there is what i'm asking uh i mean the only kind of autobiographical detail in there is, I mean, there's a couple things that I stole from my real life, but for the most part, it's all fictional except for, and this is totally vain of me, but no one's ever going to pick up on it. I mean, now I'm saying it out loud so people will know, but it's not like, you know, I'm sucking my own dick, but, um, I put out a, a series of short stories and poems years ago called the void sutras. And there's a little kind of prosy piece in there where I talk about the place of lost things. So in the book of lists, the kind of the narrative thrust is this guy trying to find the place of lost things, you know, through a road trip. And that's really the only kind of me in there is I sort of put myself in the book like there was this weird writer that wrote about this place. That's about it. I mean, the rest of it, it's I mean, to put a point on it, it's the whole book is for me an expression of trying to deal with. So, I mean, I've been very open on my show about, um, I have treatment resistant depression, like a severe depression. It's, and medicine doesn't work on me very well. Mm. And a lot of the short stories in there are, are kind of working through that in a way that's not talking directly about depression. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying like death equals depression. I'm certainly not making that, but sort of that work is, I think people, especially neurotypical people have a hard time understanding depression because they have a bad day and get depressed and they think, Oh, that's depression. And it's like, well, no, that's a related thing. That's like depression from a cause, but like non-causal depression is an entirely different thing. And people have a hard time understanding that. But I think a lot more people understand that kind of pervasive loss that is death. And even that kind of, even like in the more creative parts of it, like in the Theravada machine, the short story, where there is creation, people, I think, understand better the kind of slow rebuilding aspect of life when seen through something else instead of uh, as seen through talking about, like, mental health of, like, I can't describe to you what three months of every day being a shade slightly less shitty is, but I can can have three weirdos building something on a blanket, you know, if if that's, you know, and that's certainly not a one-to-one metaphor. Again, I don't want to tell people how to read the book. Yeah. Yeah. I, I what I was trying to awkwardly get at before was that the sense of pervasive, like heaviness that is very, I guess I would express it as being like this, this Capricorn person with like in, in magical terminology, heavy amounts of Saturn and how, I think there's something to creative people. They have to have some form of that heaviness and sort of wounding built into them, or they wouldn't be as creative as they are. Like they would just be normal people that go about their day, not thinking about the deeper things about things of the mind and about what artists, uh, express, uh, the deeper things. So I guess that's what I connected with most in this, the, these underlying, emotional states expressed and uh I especially thought the the conversations with all these different characters and how that emerges into conversation very awkwardly and uh how it's accepted in those conversations and brought out and sort of played with I really enjoyed that 
Oh, God, I'm glad that resonates because that's the kind of it's a weird choice to make as a writer where it's like, well, here's my exciting narrative of nothing really happens. You talk to some people and there's catharsis. I mean, on paper, that's not, you know, that's not plot heavy. There's no, you know, there's no secret passages. You know, there's no vampires. There's no, you know, there's, there's, it's not there. But like, the, you know, what you have to do is to put a fine point on it. You have to be really good at writing to pull this off. And the fact that you're responding to that is like, oh, good, I did my job. You know, like yeah. I, that works because it's it's hard to write stuff that's not plot heavy because plot's easy. You know, getting a guy to overcome an obstacle, all you have to do is invent a guy, an obstacle, and a means to do it. And then, you know, you got a Dan Brown book. But, you know, <laughs> that's for airports. <laughs> I would like to uh, get you to talk a little bit more about the place of lost things. I love this idea of the character in your book coming across these people and them joining in with this list making of things that they have lost in their life, maybe from childhood and them sort of, Oh, I get this and kind of joining in and adding their own list of things. Uh, would you have, first of all, can you talk about how that came about? Yeah. I know you already mentioned that it was in one of your previous writings. What is the origin of that? Um, I mean, for the book of lists, like the actual short story, the, I just find myself stupidly thinking about the things I left behind, like in a very unhealthy way. Um, like, you know, I, I, you know, the, the, what's what, you know, the old, the old kind of, uh, 1950s phrase of, uh, you know, the one that got away, mm. the, you know, the, the girl that, you know, yeah. you should have married or that kind of thing. And I find myself kind of ruminating on that and not like it, it's, it's a fight I have. And, I think there's a kind of a healthy way to do that. And I think like the lists that the people make in the story is kind of a healthier way to approach that where it's like, you're saying these are things I miss or these are things I would have back in a, in a, you know, in a differently structured universe where you could take things back. It's, it's very writing it. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, no, go ahead. Uh, I, oh, it's just like, so in a differently structured universe, you could take these things back or, you know, find the lost stuff. And I think kind of writing it down and kind of, making it an artifact instead of part of your kind of mental makeup is kind of a psychologically kind of healthier thing. So it's something you can put aside instead of ruminating on and like, you know, becoming like an obsessive concept. It's just, these are the lists and like, like this guy's kind of journey is to say, well, these are the lists. This is what me and this girl did as kind of a tribute as a way to hopefully figure out how to go on with life. If I'm going to take this as an impetus, I'm going to go to this place of lost things that I think has something to do with this and, and see what happens. You know, it's that mm -hmm. when everything else has failed, you don't know what the hell to do. You go, well, fuck, at least it's an idea. And I think, you know, both going on a road trip to a place you don't know exists and just writing weird ass lists is a way to kind of actualize longing is kind of. I don't know, mentally, I think it's kind of the same kind of character trait, you know, just like, well, this is all I can do. You know, this is, we live in a universe where time goes in one direction. So I've got to come up with an idea of how to move forward. And, you know, in this case, I'll just literally move forward. I'll sell my shit, hop in a car and start driving East. It's interesting uh, that you described it as unhealthy. I've had this conversation with Kelly before about how everything in our culture is 
bent towards nostalgia, especially nostalgia for the 1980s. Everything is like rehashed from that time. TV shows, video games. Uh, it just seems to be a rehashing. And I think this is unhealthy and it's a sign mm. of unhealthiness. If you go back to like the 1920s, people had for the first time enough money to have free time. And you had this this culture that emerged from there with new music and a new scene. And then uh, going into the 1940s, you had new music emerge and new, new creative uh, expressions and then 1950s which you mentioned again a new artistic expression from there into the 60s and the 70s 80s 90s and then you hit our time and there's like nothing new there's just this turning back to wanting to to regain what was what was and i thought it was so cool in the in the last part uh the, when i don't want to ruin anything so uh but the the point where the bartender uh, serving the drinks uh, says you can't have that again. You have to have something new. I thought that was really cool. Oh, good. Yeah, I, I'm glad for that. That was. I I tend to be a bit of a um, planned writer, so I sort of know what the story is going to be. And rarely does something kind of come up while I'm typing. And I was just kind of typing, and then just that entire scene at the end, which again I'm not going to give too much away just happened like while I was writing instead of I didn't know that was going to be a thing I didn't know that place existed I didn't know any of that and it just kind of like it just sort of like flowed out I was like oh what a fun surprise which the way I write I tend to know what's going to happen or at least you know not necessarily the words that are going to but at least beat by beat and that was a really good discovery and I'm glad it works because it's you know I I rarely have that so it's yeah in that yay yeah, in that last chapter there, uh, there was a few words that jumped out at me. And I thought this maybe could be consciously done, but I, I kind of supposed it was an unconscious thing. The words alchemical, the bar top was copper, and you mentioned green. And all of those things ring up in my sort of mag- magical mind, uh, Venus and the alchemical process of conjunctio and my own wounding and sort of healing through her sphere. And I, I kind of took that as the character uh, coming to that, that same place of healing uh, through those Venusian type of uh, alchemical woo-woos, <laughs> if that makes well, any sense at all. No, it does. There's definitely, and purposefully, there is alchemy uh, throughout a few of the stories. Um that scene in particular, there is alchemy written in, and I, not in a I said A B C equals you know, but I mean I did seed it. You you picked out two there, like the green behind the bar, the purple behind the bar, sort of as it has a meaning. The copperness, um, the Terravada machine, the short story is, I don't know if you want to say alchemy, but there's definitely like a magical work going on there in my head. Like, is is sort of what the the concept is. Uh, the Mandela effect is straight magic. I mean, it's literally dimension jumping, you know, it's intention. So, yeah, no, there's there's a lot of kind of alchemy and magic kind of woven in, but not in a... Um, I didn't want to put it, like, in the front. Because I think, I, like, with Periphery, I, th- I think that one was so directly magical or directly otherworldly. I wanted to keep this one... I certainly not grounded. I mean, there are weird, you know 
men of strange origin sitting on my on a kitchen floor at one point. But I wanted to keep it at least in a somewhat real world instead of saying, no, this is a universe in which magic is 100% real. But there are, you know, yeah, there are alchemical references in there. And I think the kind of journey across a country and kind of certain aspects there has that kind of journey of the sun across the sky kind of deal, which is, um, you know, the chemical wedding, the alchemical wedding kind of concept of, you know, bringing the sun down, et cetera. So yeah, it's definitely, it's, it's definitely seeded through there, but, um, that's probably just cause I've read enough of this crap that, you know, it's kind of hard for me not to seed it. <laughs> I thought that the, with the three guys on the, it just in the middle of things, uh, and the characters sort of accepting it as normal. That's what makes like, fiction like so great that i really enjoy sort of like twilight zone and stuff you have something sort of supernatural that breaks into the story and it's just dealt with in sort of like a mundane way and this is what makes fiction so great that we can sort of examine these type of things so i thought it was i really enjoyed that again too um the hotel rooms and some of the bars and stuff are any of those uh, actual places um, the, there's one hotel, the one with the pastiche face woman, um, that's sort of based on a motel I stayed in, in Seattle. Uh, I was there, I was, I lived on the East coast at the time. I was coming out West to look at colleges, uh, look at graduate schools, which I ended up not going to. That's how I ended up in Portland. It's a long story, but, um, there was this one motel that was like this, I don't, it's it's like if a shoulder shrug could be a location, it was this motel. Mm-hmm. And the lady behind the, the, the counter had a every person's face all at once kind of face is the best way to describe it. So she's kind of stolen from real life. But mostly, mostly everything else is kind of uh, my own invention. The town at the end, uh, that's like kind of an old timey town, but there's a 7-Eleven in the middle of it, there is a place in Massachusetts like that, but I couldn't tell you where it is. I just, I remember when I was a kid, there was like this kind of quaint oldie town. And then there was like, I think it was a, like a dairy queen with, you know, a big glowing dairy queen sign. Mm. And then everything else is like this rustic wood and lovely hundred year old looking everything else. And then just, you know, try our new Eminem blizzard. And it, that's something that sticks out, but yeah, pretty much everything else I just made up. I mean, honestly, I mean, I've, I've been in Montana once, but you know, that's, I have an entire chapter named after that. <laughs> the uh, other thing that struck me was, I think we touched on it maybe a little bit, the relationship aspect throughout it and that deals with love and sort of girlfriend, boyfriend type of thing and kind of difficult to talk about, but you've already been intimate with us with your depression issues. How is the love life? <laughs> Oh, I mean, it's it's awful. Uh, <laughs> I, I've I've had terrible luck in my adult life. Uh, so, I mean, I think part of that kind of, uh, I think some of the loneliness kind of transfers through to, uh, you know, there's not a lot of like healthy relationships in there, except for, you know, Terravada machine. There's two people that actually function together. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah, I mean, that probably bleeds through, but that's mostly just I, the, the way the dating world operates now especially mm-hmm. in, in a city structure is so completely against the way i live life like it's to have have articulated pictures of yourself to be swiped right and then fake right. things that eventually break yeah. through and have four relationships at once and i live in portland where everybody's poly where i'm i like monogamy like i'm i'm old 
I guess, but it's just what it is. So it's just like, that's where I am, my age and the way I live life is one so built against finding a proper relationship. Uh, So do you mind if I ask how old you are, Alex? I'm 38. 38. I am 39. I thought that came through. I am the same way. Uh, I just can't help it. It's sort of my nature to be somewhat conservative. And I, I picked that up in, in the sort of relations throughout the book, sort of this, this kind of old school romanticism. And when you talked about the most explicit thing was the blowjob in the corpse thing, which was kind of shocking because that comes in the midst of all of this sort of uh, reserved way of speaking about relations. Go yeah, ahead. I mean, that's kind of the thing of trying to, I mean, it's how you land a punch is is, is in the context of of other things. So <clears throat> if the rest of the stories are kind of conservative, you can get away with having one that's a little kind of over the top. And the one we're talking about is a guy kind of uh, obsessing over remembering his dead friend and how one time, you know, he got a blowjob uh-huh. from her. <laughs> and, you know, and then, and that's somewhat of a real life example. I mean, I think we all, y'all, at some point you make it to a certain age where people you dated in the past are no longer with us. Mm. And I mean, not to put this thought in everybody's head that's listening, but hey, think about that. It's fucking weird, right? <laughs> so, you know, it's just kind of a meditation on kind of death and sexuality and how they're not intermingled, but they're intrinsically intermingled. Yeah. Yeah, that was uh, something that will stick with you for a, a while, <laughs> reading through that vision. No, I'm glad. That's that, that's a nervous one putting out there, too, because uh, especially as a writer where it's like, you know, your family's going to read this. So you're like, yeah, this is, all right, biting the bullet on this one. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to ask you how long this took, this process of writing this. I mean, on and off, probably about four years. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's kind of hard to say because I, I, I wrote, so three of the five stories in there I had written and published already available as like Kindle shorts on Amazon. Ah, uh, yeah. And then I, the other two had never been seen before. So like those had, kind of I put out like as like a release release and I added them a little bit for the collection but for the most part they're they're what people had read previously so yeah probably about four years like total but it's odd because I work on other stuff at the same time so it's not Mm -hmm. like yeah it's just it's awkward saying like oh it took me four years because like yeah probably didn't but it sort of was you know over the course of so how has the reception been I've been reading a few comments here and there on social media uh, somebody said it made them cry, I think, but in a good way. What are some of the uh, comments you've heard? Uh, it's It's been universally positive, actually. Yeah, I've had a lot of really good responses. But, you know, it's that same thing with the self-published stuff where it's hard to get people to read it. You know, it's just mm-hmm. it's my my main problem is not people liking it. It's it's people actually getting around to putting their eyeballs on it. But, yeah, no, it's, it's been really good. Like, just. People that I don't know at all sending me messages saying like, hey, somebody on Twitter said something along the lines of like, you know, I live my I, I try not to feel things for the most part of my life. But this book like totally had me, you know, crying and feeling stuff and laughing. And I was like, fuck, yeah, that's you know, that's did my job well. Yeah. And I mean, it's not like it's a burdensome read. I think I probably read through it in maybe an hour, hour and a half. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty short. I mean, I don't even know how many words it is, but it, yeah, it's short book and i try to keep it i mean as much as we're talking about kind of the you know depression kind of heavy side of it it's it's not like this isn't a when you finish it you're gonna feel sad kind of thing right. or at least i hope not like the you know the idea behind it isn't isn't hey let's just write a book to make people feel sad you know it's it's not you know early 90s 
you know, goth music. It's there's, you know, there's the full spectrum of emotion involved, but yeah, it's, um, yeah, it's, it's a nice short read, inexpensive. Everybody out there should buy one. (laughs) (laughs) Leave a nice review on Amazon. That's, that's, so that's all I need in the universe. <laughs> yeah, I really enjoyed it. I thought um, I I didn't want to cry or anything, but uh, I I enjoyed it as something that sort of reminded me of a lot of the fiction uh, that I grew up with, reading sort of weird tales and stuff like that. You know, short stories. There's some weirdness in there and uh, some real stuff that, like I talked about earlier, sort of the the deeper things of the mind that you bring out and kind of play with. And, uh, yeah, I really enjoyed it. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. It's, it was an interesting kind of experiment too of, so, uh, the novel periphery that came up earlier had a well-received and has like a, a pretty loyal fan base, small, but loyal. And it's interesting to put out another book of like, you kind of, I didn't want to be too normal. Like, I mean, it's not like I'm trying to be weird, but like, there's certain stories, uh, like, like I have other short stories I've written, but it's like, well, I can't really put them in because it's like the the fan base from, from Periphery, I don't know if that like transfers well into just like straight normal fiction. So it's kind of interesting to play this like a little bit of a dance of like keeping some weirdness there, keeping some kind of magical realism to use to use the term instead of just straight realistic, you know, prose writing. So it's, yeah, it's an inter- interesting thing of like, oh, well, now that I'm putting stuff out there, I have to keep in mind that there's people that know me as a writer to <clears throat> kind of keep the Alex Bowen type flourishes in there. Like instead of just going completely sideways, you know, it's like, mm-hmm. I like, you know, if you're, I don't want to compare myself to Stephen King cause I don't like him very much, but like if Stephen King put out just the, you know, a romance novel, you're like, mm-hmm. what the fuck is this? You know, it just, <laughs> you can't left her that hard. It's kind of interesting to be at this point of my like kind of writing thing where, I actually have enough people that it would be awkward to make a left turn. So it's, you know, it's an interesting, interesting place to be it, it, as a, and I, and I'm putting in heavy quotes as a public figure, heavy quotes, like extra double quotes. You know? <laughs> There's a quote. Uh, it was from a McCarthy era poster and it, it was a quote from King Leopold's letter to queen Victoria. And it said, beware of artists they mix with all classes of society and are therefore the most dangerous. Uh, any thoughts on that and your own journey as a creative force in the world and how you how, how you see yourself as uh, Alex Bolin and a, and a writer? Um, yeah, I mean, I definitely see the truth behind that statement. I don't know. I mean, I guess there's some of my writing that maybe relates to that a little bit. I mean, this book's still new enough that I haven't had a lot of response for like periphery. Like I had, you know, quite a few people that like I was their awakening moment that like now they're weirdo occulty conspiracy types. Um, which I mean, that's, that's a powerful thing to hear. Um, which, you know, when, when I was a kid, I, I, I don't know what got me into it, but like, you know, whatever it was, you know, watching JFK or whatever, you know, whatever that inciting incident was, it's, it is interesting to be someone's inciting incident. Like I, I, you know, I know, I know people now that are into magic because they read something of mine. And that is, you know, that's, that's a powerful thing. Uh, It's, it's an interesting thing. And it does kind of, I don't want to say I have a responsibility to them, but I do kind of think about it a little bit of like, uh, I think I have to be like, I'd certainly not be more careful, but I do have to recognize that 
this isn't just shouting into a void. You know, there are people yeah. out there that like will will take it in, you know. Or go the other way and, you know, finally start the cult that we all know I'm going to start at some point. <laughs> well, uh, thank you so much, Alex, for coming on and uh, talking with us a bit. Where can people find you? Uh, where can people find your books? Uh, what are you up to and all that jazz? Well, uh, so the Terravada Machine and other stories is available on Amazon and Powell's and Barnes & Noble, all the online retail- retailers. So it's uh, Alex Bolin, Alex with two X's, B-O-L-L-E-N. Is the easiest way to find it because uh, Terravada is kind of annoying to spell. Um, so search on there and you can find that in my previous books. And uh, I do a couple podcasts. Um, I'm the Alex Cast, which is, we discussed earlier that's been going since debatably 2010. And I do a movie podcast called John and Alex Hate Stuff, um, which you can find, you know, just Google. I'm everywhere. I have, I have good SEO. I'm not hard to find. Very cool. Oh yeah, I, I mean, I keep telling people, listen to John and Alex hate stuff. It's much better than the Alex cast because <laughs> I have a co-host, so now I'm like responsible. So it's like, oh, I can't just be a uh, dick and say dumb <laughs> shit. <laughs> you know, like I actually have to like do some kind of a performative act. So I think I think it's a pretty damn good show. <laughs> Very cool. Well, thanks so much, Alex, and uh, I hope we can do this again soon. Yeah, yeah, indeed. Thanks for having me on. All right, man. Take care. Let's see ya. I am your father. And this is the shock I've never recovered from. Now this is to me the primary thing that Jung saw. That in order to admit and really accept and understand the evil in oneself, one had to be able to do it without being an enemy to it. The master wants you. Throw away your cross, face the master, your faith against his faith. Could you do that? Is your faith enough? Then do it. And at that point, I got this spectacular vision. If you can imagine, imagine if you will, that 360 degrees around your head, there is a moving lice work made up of spiders luminous, beautifully coloured spiders that are turning themselves inside out through a dimension that we don't have, becoming a beautiful lacework of lizards. Then back to the spiders again, and somehow in all of this there is a fan of beautiful peacock tail feathers. It was exquisite, a bit creepy, a bit hellish, and but beautiful in its way, jeweled and beautiful. And I kind of got the impression that, well, actually, these things don't look like anything. Anyway. (laughs) Hello? (laughs) (laughs) So, I really felt quite distressed at not receiving an invitation. You're not welcome here. Yeah. What an awkward situation. Do you not offend it? Why, no. And to show I bear no ill will, I too shall bestow a gift on the child. No, we don't want your gift. 
Sometimes the world no longer needs a hero. Sometimes what it needs is a monster. I like you, my gifts. Does the gun not please you? No. Can you speak so of your bright old gun? I've found my true mate. And you know it. Never. Beneath the skin, we are all ready. One. Was it not your sin trapped the unicorn? Even now, the evil seed of what you've done germinates within you. No. You lie. 